Father God, we, uh, we again, we, we come to you not with things together, but with things uh, apart and greatly in need of you. For every breath, for every heartbeat, um, God, we lift up this little guy, Elijah, and those of us that know him know what a delight he is. Um, that his heart may physically have trouble, but the guy lights up a room with his joy and his exuberance and his humor. Um, I pray for his mom and dad. Can't imagine the worry or the angst that they may have this morning. Um, and so we just pray that you would touch his little body and uh, make him whole and uh, do a work there, God, that you can get glory for. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray um, uh, for each other as we struggle, maybe not with physical things, maybe with relational things or uh, just spiritual lethargy or whatever it may be as we gather here this morning. Um, God, we need you and we pray for one another and the things that we need you in. Um, we pray for our country. We pray for those that are grieving this morning. Um, that even as we worship, uh, things can be out of control that tragedy can strike. And so we pray for those that are mourning today as they regather to worship or think about those they're not gathering with this morning. Um, God, things feel like they're uh, off the hook, out of control. And yet we come this morning to recalibrate and refresh our minds on the truth that, God, you are sovereign, you are good, you do have a plan, you are in control, you are working your purposes. Um, so we confess that and we ask that you to give us hearts to trust that. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray and we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we open your word, you would guide and lead. Um, that God, we don't need to hear uh, from me this morning. God, we need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, please move, please work. For the glory and the renown of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, one thing I've failed to mention the last couple of weeks, and Dan mentioned giving, and we want to uh, remind you to do that. We need you to give, covenant members, we need you to give and as we finish the year here. There's another thing I keep forgetting to mention, though, is a couple weeks ago, uh, in, in one of our efforts with missions, we, do, uh, we have a partnership in Haiti, and we're going to build a house for a family in Haiti again in March. And we had a wonderfully generous matching gift of $3,000 that cost $6,000 to build those homes that we'll go out there and do. And we've, we've matched about 1,700 of that. So I'd love uh, if you wanna give, if part of your giving today would not only be to Centennial Church, but you can make that out to Centennial Church and put a memo in that for our Haiti house build. I just wanna remind you of that. Uh, it fits into what we're talking about here this morning. So uh, let's jump in. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. And uh, we will get there in a minute, but as you're getting there, let me ask you a question, and we're going to have you do some sharing. If you came with someone, you're going to talk to your neighbor here in a second, okay? Uh, are you a task person or a people person? Task doer or people person? A doer or a relater? Okay, you might say, well, you know, I'm kind of both, but why don't you turn to someone that perhaps you're sitting next to and knows you well and say, uh, yeah, you are a task person or you are a uh, relater, people person. Go ahead and just kind of give, give truth to whoever's sitting by you there, okay? 
you're by yourself. That's awkward. Who do you talk to if you're sitting there? Uh, maybe you think it's a bad question. Maybe uh, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm really both. You know, I'm, I'm task and I'm people person. I'm kind of the total package. You know, I get things done and people love me. Uh, maybe that's you. It's not me, okay? I'm not the total package, but I know many of you are. But uh, people, people and task people sometimes tend to butt heads, right? You've been on a committee together and you're a task person and you're ready to execute and everybody else is just talking and talking and loving each other. Okay, s- stop conversing now. <laughs> we, got a, we got a task. I got 35 minutes here, okay? You're taking my time. Uh, but there can be friction here, right? There can be friction in a marriage. Like, you know, you, we just need to get this done. And the people people are just like, hey, man, the God wants us to love one another. Man, that's the great commandment. Love him and love one another. And let's we, why can't we all just get along? And the task people are like that driven kind of beaver driver mentality. And let's do something. Let's get this knocked out. Enough talking. All we're doing is talking. Let's execute. I don't know if that's a attention for you or attention in your home or attention in perhaps your workplace, but I think it is a real tension. And uh, it's attention even in the scriptures. And sometimes we can take our preferences and apply them to the scriptures or apply them to the church or what we are really passionate about. That one thing that we love. Hey, it's all about people. We want to make that the only thing. Or, hey, it's, it's all about missions. We want to make that the only thing. And let's kind of get people on board with me, right? That's the way you see it. That's your passion. That's your one thing. I have a 15-month-old who uh, his first word was not dada. His first word was not mama. His, actually, his first word was the dog's name, Gray. His first word was Gray, 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 Gray. He always heard us say great, great. His second word, though, was ball. You know, makes every dad's heart happy, ball. And he's just passionate about balls, loves balls. But because he's one year old, one year old or one years old, one year old, because he's a one year old, correct my grammar here, uh, and ball is his passion, everything that he sees is now a ball, right? I mean, it, we're in sprouts and it's an avocado, ball ball. If it's an orange, ball, ball, whatever it is, he filters everything through his favorite thing, ball, that passion. And that's cute when you're a one-year-old, but as you get older and you cannot distinguish um, round things or your passions from other passions, that can not be a sign of laser focus, but that can be a sign of actually immaturity. The Bible actually gives us uh, several priorities, and we see those here in, uh, in Romans chapter 15. And sometimes, as I said before, we're, we're tempted to kind of make our thing the main thing, or our thing the only thing. As has been said uh, before, if the only tool that you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail to you, Right? So there's some of us that are people people and we think, man, the church primarily and exclusively needs to be about fellowship and community and unity of the church. And there's others of us that are passionate about reaching the world for Christ and about missions. And we think, hey, that's the main thing. Let's just yell that from the rooftops. 
And the scriptures here in Romans 15 actually show us both. Let me say it the way Ray Ortland, a pastor in Nashville, says it. He says it like this. Left to ourselves, we will get it partly wrong. But we won't feel wrong because we'll be partly right, but only partly. Let me say that again, okay? Left to ourselves, we will get it partly wrong. But we won't feel wrong because we'll be partly right, but only partly Colin Hansen says it like this. He says, the problem with blind spots is that they tend to hide behind good traits, right? You love people. That's a good thing. But a blind spot may be, hey, you know what? We also have a mission that we're on. A mission that means we can't just stay around and circle up in our holy huddles and love one another. We have to go out and reach other people. So here's the question. What is God? Is God a relater or a doer? Yes Yes is the correct answer. Amen, Jason. Yes, God is both. He is a relater. In fact, God, the one true God, is one God in three persons. He is relational in essence, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's always existed in relationships. He's all about relationships. And yet also that eternal God has revealed to us that he is on a mission. And that mission is about restoring this world that has gone wrong. And part of that restoration is him sending Jesus into this world to accomplish a task. And in fact, Jesus prays in one of his last prayers on earth in John chapter 17, Father, I've completed the work that you gave me to do. God himself is a relater. God himself is a doer. And we see that both of those priorities here in Romans 15. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at these two parts. It's a lot, again, to cover. In the first section of Romans chapter 15, we're going to see the emphasis on our unity or community. And then the second half of the chapter, verses 14 through 33, we see, we see the emphasis on mission, okay? Both and. Relationships, unity, and our mission the second half of the verse. So let me read, uh, first of all, just the first 13 verses, and then we will uh, discuss that quickly and, uh, and move into the, the mission part. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and follow along with me here. Uh, first of all, verses 1 through 13, okay? Paul writes, So we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 
And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, let's stop there for a minute. And there's plenty to talk about here, and there's too much to talk about, so this is going to be pretty high level this morning to try to talk about all this. But the basic thrust of the first 13 verses of Romans 15 is really uh, following up on Romans 14. Ha ha, isn't that, uh, isn't that clever, you know? He's following up on what he's just said, and it's, it's kind of the conclusion of sorts. And his main thing that he's saying here is that there have been these problems in the Roman church between Jewish believers and Roman believers, Jew and Gentile, okay? And he's saying that because of what Jesus has done, uh, God doesn't just have a Jewish people, but he has one people, Jew and Gentile alike worshiping the same God together. But when you get people of different races, different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds together, guess what? You have friction. You have problems. And what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 14, as Sean so wonderfully walked us through Romans 14 last week, is that a lot of these problems between Jew and Gentile are really just kind of small potatoes, And Paul is basically saying, get over your preferences. You're worried about eating meat, meeting eat, eating meat or not eating meat. And it's kind of small potatoes. Just love Christ. Don't look down on people for different preferences that they have when there's areas that the Bible doesn't expressly talk about. Just kind of do your deal as unto the Lord and don't judge what other people do. That's kind of the broad idea, and Sean gave us some examples of what that looks like in modern life today. One of the examples is, hey, man, so-and-so, did you see they, they, they had a picture of beer on their Facebook? I can't believe that they would do that. Or so-and-so, you know, I don't know if he mentioned this, but so-and-so has a tattoo. Gosh, are we really supposed to do that as Christians? And you're kind of judging your brother and sister for this, for this thing that's kind of, as Paul says, a disputable matter. Whether you drink wine or drink beer or whether you have a tattoo or whether you send your kids to Christian school or homeschool or private school, these are all these disputable matters that are really kind of small potatoes and what we're supposed to be united about, and some of you are smirking, you're just like elbowing, you're, I mean, you're like got examples in your mind, I can see what's happening now, are kind of small potatoes in the scheme of it all because we're supposed to be unified around the person of Jesus unified around the person of Jesus and on mission for the person of Jesus. But these little things kind of get in us and hang us up, and we want to make these little things big things. So one small example is that anyone else besides me last week noticed that Sean was up here preaching in tennis shoes. I couldn't believe it. And now, of course, I didn't say anything to him this week when we talked about the sermon. I just just would tell you this morning. But he was up here preaching in tennis shoes. And it's not that I have a problem with that. It's actually that I'm jealous of that. You know, I would love to be up here in my flip-flops. But uh, my wife won't let me. You know, she she is so stinking conservative. Um, 
I've been criticizing, I've been criticized for having jeans on as I preach up here. But it's small things, right? But we make those small things become big things. I have some other preferences. You know, the thing going today uh, in, in church world for preachers is to replace this thing, the pulpit, with a round table and a bar stool and to have your Starbucks uh, coffee cup up there, right? And just kind of be a little bit more relational. Guess what? I'm not going there. I'm not going to show up next month to the Minister's Alliance and, and point my finger down at the other guys. But for me, it's a preference. The Bible doesn't say anything about having a pulpit. Did Jesus preach from a pulpit? I, I doubt it, right? I doubt it. Good point. Amen. He would never darken a place of business like that, would he? Uh, but it's just a conviction that I have. To me, it's, it's kind of just this moving cat, more and more casual, less and less reverent and respectable. But it's not something that's clearly addressed in the Bible. I just think I'm right, you know? We're just not going to do that, you know? And, the, and the, the, the morning that we have dry ice or smoke up here on stage is the morning I'm out of here, you know? It's, I just have standards. There's a line and I'm not going to cross it. But all these things are matters of preference. And Paul is basically in Romans 14 and Romans 15 saying, get over it. And he says in verse 1, bear with the failings of the weak. Keep your conviction to yourself and just, what are you guys smiling about over there? Called out. Uh, uh, bear with the failings of the weak. He goes on to say, and don't try to please yourself, but please your neighbor. I mean, if, if this is not countercultural stuff right here, don't please yourself in 2017 Collin County, then I don't know what is. Because we live in a time and an area where it's all about please yourself. Accumulate, meet your needs more and more. It's never enough. Live for yourself. Please yourself. Please your kids. Have everything be the best. And he is saying, put your preferences on the shelf. Don't make a big deal about these small things. Why? Because who is our example? Verse 3. <clears throat> For Christ did not please himself, but he came and bore the reproaches that we should have. Verse 4. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He took our punishment. He took the judgment that we deserve. He bore our reproach. He sacrificed himself. His, 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 his uh, Life goal was not to please himself, but to please his father and to bear our reproach. We feel like we're uh, moving in on uh, kind of some final candidates for a worship leader. Hymns, contemporary, sometimes these are small potato kind of things that we can get really passionate about. And we can make big things. But in the scheme of things, is my preference worth the unity of the church? And what Paul is saying here is no. I mean, there are reasons to disagree. 
There are reasons to divide. There are reasons to leave a church. And if you look over uh, in chapter 16, he even talks about one. Chapter 16, uh, verse 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Like there's things to get upset about. But there's other things to kind of say, you know what, this is not a clearly expressed thing and I got to get over it. Okay? And therefore protect the unity, the community, people, people like this, protect the unity of the local body. We all know John 3.16, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Look at 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, put our preferences on the shelf, secondary, and worry about the unity of the body and pleasing God or pleasing our brother rather than ourselves. Flip with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, love this verse 2. It says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Take what you've learned and pass it on. And then he goes on with this analogy in verse 3 and 4 about a soldier on this weekend that we celebrate our veterans and those who have put their self on the line, sacrificed themselves for something greater. Look at the analogy he gives, uh, verse 3 and 4. Who will be able to, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. He's not worried about what's going on in civilian life since his aim is to please, same word, the one who enlisted him. My goal is not to uh, have my preference on everything, my goal is to please the one who enlisted me. My goal is to please God. And that doesn't mean that life is all drudgery or all sacrifice and no fun or no joy. Because if you look at Romans chapter 15, verse 13, look at the little benediction there. Paul says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As you live this life, not to please yourself, but as you put your preference in second and put God's, pleasing God first and pleasing your neighbor, your brother and sister first, you will be filled with joy and peace in living the life that you know God has called you to live. So to go up and borrow a verse from chapter 14, verse 20, I want you to fill in the blank this morning. Verse 20 of chapter 14 says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. We've been talking about meeting, eat. I've done that twice now, meeting, eat. <laughs> Eating meat. And he says, his kind of conclusionary uh, principle there is, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And there's some other things that we could fill in the blank there. What might it be? Do not for the sake of hymns or music or self preferences destroy the work of God. What else? Do not for the sake of tennis shoes. I'm sorry, Sean. I publicly embarrassed him. Do not for the sake of clothing or for the sake of tattoos or for the sake of movies 
destroy the work of God. How about this one? Politics. Hmm. I'm in a red state. All right. How important is your politics? Well, it's pretty important. Is it this important? You know, I have believing friends who are Republican. I have believing friends that are Democrat. And my Democratic evangelical friends can't understand how a Christian could be a Republican and go along with some of the things that the Republicans believe. And I have Republican friends who can't imagine how someone can be a Christian and go along with some of the things the Democrats believe. And don't get me wrong, I think on some particular issues, it's not right or left, it's right or wrong. I believe that. But is politics what unites us together in this room and unites us across the world with other believers? Because there are thousands and millions of believers around the world who are not capitalists like you and I. But it's not our left-leaning politics or our right-leaning politics that unites us in the house of God and as brothers and sisters. And if that is more ultimate to you than unity around Jesus, guess what? There's a thing that we call that when your life revolves around something, when you follow that something, whether it's politics or whether it's religion, when, you, when your life revolves around that thing, we call that thing a master or an idol or a god. And let me caution us not to destroy the work of God for the sake of politics. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying don't have opinions. I'm just saying that what unites us as believers is not these little things, but the main thing. The main thing being Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Disunity impedes mission. Disunity impedes mission, and mission builds unity. We've had some disunity at our church over the course of history, recent history. And God hates it. Because it hurts his reputation in our community and the world. And over and over and over in the Bible, God talks about the unity of the body and how incredibly important it is. And again, there are times to divide, there are times to break fellowship. I believe that. But let it never be over these small things. And as much as we can seek reconciliation with one another, we gotta strive for that. We gotta do that. Folks, the unity of the body is so important to God. It's so critical for the health of our church. And it's so damning 
in the eyes of our community when Christians can't get along. And it grieves my heart this morning. It grieves my heart for our body. And I want us to pray for the unity of our church. Last week, I really appreciated Sean's opening remarks to pray for our leaders, to pray for me, to pray for our elders, to pray for our staff, to pray for our deacons, because folks, we are attempting something that the enemy hates. He hates what we want to do. He hates our mission. And any time he can divide us as a family, and any time he can get our eyes off of our mission, he wins a battle. And so, man, one of the greatest things that you can do for your church family is to pray. In fact, I'd like us to do that right now. Um, I'd like a few of you impromptu, a couple sentence prayers, just pray for Centennial Church. Pray for our kids. Pray for our students. Pray for our elders, for our staff, for our deacons. And then we'll talk about mission. So a couple of you, let's pray.
ask just one more verse in the voice of prayer, and then I'll close this. God, you are, you are so good. You are so gracious. You are so gentle. So holy. And God, you, you use us, weak, unholy, jars of clay. And you get glory from it somehow. God, for, forgive us for being such a marred bride of Christ. And Father, where I have impeded your work and your spirit and the unity of this church, I pray you forgive me. Father, I pray that you would do something by your spirit special, not so weak and brag or have some special experience but God so you can move so that you can get glory for yourself and that your world be helped Father I believe that you want to do something unique here that the enemy is threatened that he keeps messing with us and so we pray, God, that you would bind him from this place, from our brothers and sisters, from this property, and that you would protect us in the months and years ahead, protect our unity, grow us together as a family, and make us more impactful in this world. God, please move. Begin in me. Begin in all of us here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Verses 14 through 33, I don't have time to read. But here's the idea, and here's the challenge. The first part is be unified. And the second part is Paul saying, I'm on a mission. We're not just a holy huddle, but I'm out. And his specific mission was to take the gospel where it hadn't been preached. You, you read that in chapter 15, I believe it's verse 20. My ambition is to take the gospel where Christ has not already been named. And you're like, well, that's Paul's mission. That's not my mission. Okay, so Paul had a unique mission, but guess what? We have a unique mission too. 
And yours may not be to go to some place where Christ has not been named, but our call is still the Great Commission. You and I still have a mission that we're on. And we gather every week and we celebrate Jesus and we sing and we celebrate the sacraments and we open up the scriptures, but that's not the end game. We're also called Monday through Saturday to go out into our mission field. We're called to make disciples. This, this, this deal is not about some celebration where the guys and the gals on the stage are here to entertain you. We're here to equip one another to go out these doors. It says, start here, go everywhere, and take what we're learning and what we're becoming and impact the people around us. We have, if you go on our website, eight or nine missions partners. You're going to hear from one of them next week, John Bachelman. We talk about East-West a lot. But if you go, we, we have partnerships with Cornerstone Ranch locally, Samaritan Inn, with Young Life, with navigators in different parts of the country. Some of them kids that have come out of this church. So we have eight or nine missions partners, and we call them missions partners because they're partners. Because we have more than eight or nine missionaries, we have however many people are here today, we have 150-something missionaries. And so it's not about just helping our missions partners, it's also about equipping one another to go out in your mission field. So I want you to know, as an individual and as a family, what's my mission? I'm a missionary of Centennial Church, but what's my mission? And it could be the soccer team that your kids are a part of or the baseball team that your kids are. Man, we're going to be praying as a family for these folks in our circle that are unchurched or unsaved that we can have an impact on them. Maybe it's at your place of work and you're like, God, give me the courage to start a Bible study with seekers and the unsaved at my place of employment. Maybe it's someone across the street. Maybe it's not uh, that you're going to Haiti, but that you're going across the street to a neighbor. And you're taking them dinner and you're learning about their life and you're inviting them over for a cookout. You're welcoming them in your home to make an impact. And I, I believe that what Centennial Church is going to be about, what is going to be our unique calling is not that we have eight or nine missions partners, but that we have members who are missionaries. Because every week some people will come in here, visit our church, and hopefully be ministered to uh, by us, by one another, by the, the sacrament, by the scriptures, by the song, whatever. But the biggest impact we'll have as a church is not when a few people drift in here off the street. The biggest impact we'll have as a church is as 150 of us go out and make an impact Monday through Saturday where we are. That's what it means to be a disciple. Not just to come here and get a feel-good message and go out on, a, on your way about pleasing yourself. And I'm talking to myself here but to come and gather with the body of Christ and be equipped to go out and reach the people that are not in here. Would they hopefully come here? Yes. But for you and I to equip one another to go out and share the gospel, lead someone to faith in Christ, and then bring them along in the basics of the faith and get them connected with a small group here to grow in their faith. 
That's not what Jesus just called 12 people to do. That's what he said we're all supposed to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And what has he commanded us? To go and make disciples. So if we're making disciples who aren't making disciples, we're not really making disciples. It's ending on us. We got to be together. And we got to scatter and go out and make a difference. How are we going to do that? I don't have time. But we got to be people of the word. Okay? Look at what he says. Verses 5 and 6, or verse 4, excuse me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We get our mission and we get our unity around Jesus. We get our encouragement and our endurance through the scriptures. That we're people of this book, not just when we gather on Sunday morning and some guy opens it and, you know, heckles us about it. But as we're in it weekly, daily. Let me read to you from my own journal here. What 10 minutes in the Word can do for my weak, fearful, faithless mind? God, thank you. Your Word is a light unto my path. It's dark, and I need your light. And if we're going to maintain unity and if we're going to make an impact, we got to be people of this book. Amen. We were at a conference as a staff last week. I've told some of you this. I'm way over. And um, we need to be people of this book. And we need to be people of prayer. After verse 4, the scriptures are in, give us instruction through endurance and encouragement that we might have look verse five and six is a prayer not only do you get that through the scriptures but verse five may the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with christ jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the god and father of our lord jesus christ through scriptures through the prayer and through one another He says at the end of verse 32, he hopes to go to them. He hopes to be with the church in Rome that he might be refreshed by them. Go back to chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, I look forward to being with you that we might mutually encourage one another's faith. We need this for the long road. We need this for the rough patches in the road. And we need one another the long road and the rough patches in the road. And I don't know if you've experienced the refreshment that comes from meeting with one another around the Word of God. But it happens for me when I gather with our staff, when I gather with our elders, when I gather with the men in our men's Bible study on Friday morning, that we refresh one another. And we can't go out there and make any difference without the Word of God, without prayer, and without coming continually to be refreshed by one another.
I believe that God wants to use us and God wants to do something special. Will you pray that with me? Will you work toward that with me? Will you identify your mission field Monday through Saturday? Who are you going to be praying for? Who are you going to be loving? Who are you going to be sharing with? We, uh, I'll invite the band to come back up. We're just going to close out with one chorus. Um, but let me pray for us, okay? God, you are so good. We love you, God, but we don't love you as we should. We often, too often, just want to please ourselves rather than serve our brothers and sisters. Too often we want to be about what we want rather than about what you want. And pray, God, that you would help us to please you. Pray that you would help us to be a community in unity that you would help us to be a community on mission. We would scatter this week as your ambassadors and your missionaries. God, use us for the good of the world and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.